uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, another great year in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And let us hope it is a great year. By the way, it is only less than two weeks away from the beginning of the actual presidential balloting process. Well, people won't be casting ballots, but they'll be coming to caucuses in Iowa. That's on January 15th, and then eight days after that, boom, it's the New Hampshire primary. Uh, Nikki Haley trying to make up for her stumble over the Civil War and doing a better job of it. President Trump uh, riding high, way ahead in the polls, uh, trying to make sure that uh, his people know how to come out and caucus. And speaking of caucuses, uh, they got together and caucused at the Harvard Corporation, which is the uh, governing body of that august institution, and boom, goes the dynamite. Uh, Claudine Gay, the president of the university, is uh, resigned. Uh, she was asked to resign, and not because of what she did in her congressional testimony, saying that uh, uh, it depended on what context people said that they should commit genocide against Jews. Uh, that all was a question of context. No, this is a question of plagiarism. But uh, there's an attempt on CNN to try to explain it on behalf of Claudine Gay. Who should be the next president of Harvard? Uh, there are a lot of Harvard graduates out there. Uh, there are people who are rallying to the idea of uh, Ted Cruz as the uh, president of Harvard. He went to Princeton as an undergraduate, but he has a Harvard law degree. Uh, there are many others. If you have any suggestions, uh, you can call us at 1-800-955-1776. Uh, not only is it the end of Claudine Gay's shortest ever tenure as a president of the nation's oldest university, uh, she has the shortest tenure in 388 years of history. But uh, somebody else uh, had a termination of his career someone far less worthy of uh, any kind of respectful attention than Claudine Gay, uh, one of the leading terrorists of Hamas, killed in an explosion uh, in Beirut. Uh, as is traditionally the habit, uh, the Israeli military is not saying anything about this operation, but it is widely to uh, believed to be part of the determination by the Israeli government to eliminate the top leadership of Hamas and a big part. Uh, Saleh al-Aruri was one of the founders of the Hamas military wing that committed the hideous and torture-like murders of some 1,200 Israelis on October 7th. Uh, we'll also talk about reports that Israel is reconfiguring its forces, uh, maybe bringing some troops home, which is good news for the families that are awaiting uh, their return and uh, pursuing a more pinpoint kind of strategy. Uh, there's also uh, new signs of Israel maybe, just maybe, coming together. And that includes, in fact, the two million Arab Israeli citizens. We will get to some surprising news on that list. And speaking of surprising news, uh, Barack Obama wins a poll, but it's not one that he wanted to win. 
It's a poll that is uh, publicized in the Washington Times, well, about the most overrated political figures. Uh, we will get to that as well on the Michael Medved Show, and we'll be talking to Megan McArdle of the Washington Post, who has done a piece, and she is sympathetic to the pro-life point of view, but she is talking about what she believes is the missing ingredient right now for the people who want to uh, work against abortions, who want to see fewer babies, fewer pregnancies terminated, what they need most is flexibility, she says. What does she mean exactly? We'll speak to her a little bit later in this show. Uh, first up, uh, the MSNBC was one of the outlets that initially broke the news about Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, uh, resigning from her post. Uh, this is the way it was covered, clip 14. In a new letter, President Claudine Gay says she will resign. Provost Alan Gerber will be serving as interim president. He is an economist as well as a physician. This comes as Claudine Gay has faced allegations of plagiarism and a lot of criticism over her response to anti-Semitism on the campus there in Cambridge. So what did she say in her letter? Well, we just got this letter, Alex, and I'm going to read a little bit to you of what it says here because I'm looking at it along with you. It says, um, this is not a decision I came to easily. Indeed, it has been difficult beyond words because I have looked forward to working with so many of you to advance the commitment to academic excellence that has propelled the great university across centuries. But after consultation with members of the corporation, it has become clear that it is in the best interest of Harvard for me to resign so that our community, community can navigate this moment of extraordinary challenge with a focus and on the institution rather than any individual. Okay, uh, and then there was further explanation offered by another sympathetic reporter, this one from CNN. Reporter Matt Egan uh, was trying to make it clear that uh, she was not accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings, like her PhD dissertation. Uh, she has her PhD from Harvard. Uh, but <laughs> if you're not stealing somebody else's ideas, then what's the meaning of plagiarism? Here's the somewhat tortured explanation uh, by Matt Egan on CNN, clip 18. We should note that uh, these plagiarism allegations uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. Now, we should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, she's been accused of sort of a, more like a copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more sloppy attribution than stealing anyone's ideas. Okay, what's the difference between sloppy attribution and stealing someone's ideas? I mean, she bad people probably know this already, but it's still stunning. Uh, the acknowledgments section of any book, and having done 14 books myself, you always look forward to doing the acknowledgment, acknowledgment, acknowledgments at the end where you talk to about the people who helped you. And what's amazing here is she plagiarized the acknowledgments. I mean, and if that isn't stealing somebody else's ideas, that's like stealing somebody else's life to uh, list the acknowledgments that somebody else had written in a very different book. Um, 
But in any event, uh, Claudine Gay will, I'm sure, have a big career as a television commentator or someone on speaking tour or more. She has a very interesting background, and she's a very bright and brilliant woman. She uh, is the daughter of Haitian immigrants who were very upwardly mobile after they came to the United States, uh, acting uh, with, with educations in medicine and law. And she actually went to prep school, not public high school. She went to Phillips Academy, Exeter, which is one of the oldest and most prestigious prep schools in the country. Good luck to her. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, rock star Greg Tomlin put on my computer who might be her successor should we suggest this Harvard graduate he's tanned, rested and ready ha ha and uh, right there is a very smiling jovial photograph of Ted Cruz who, uh, who did go to Princeton as an undergraduate and then Harvard Law School uh, Barack Obama, uh, who went to Columbia undergraduate and also went to Harvard Law School, can you imagine uh, Harvard picking Barack Obama? Would he take the job? Being a university president uh, is a obviously a very prestigious, well-paying job without any of the quote, dire life and death responsibilities of the White House. Uh, we'll continue about some of those responsibilities and campaigns for that White House coming up on The Medved Show. I think that, that this is an interesting thing to ponder. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. I hope you had a wonderful new year. Uh, certainly, people in uh, the Seattle area had a, uh, a fairly glorious new year because of that exciting game that took place at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, where the Washington Huskies uh, advanced to the national championship. Yeah, despite the fact that the Texas Longhorns were favored. Uh, in a, a game literally that that didn't get settled until the final play, uh, and what an experience and what uh, an exaltation! And um, meanwhile, uh, there were <laughs> there were also pro Hamas demonstrators who, of course, wanted to celebrate uh, New Year's. They came to Seattle Center to uh, chant some uh, familiar phrases uh, before the Space Needle erupted in the fireworks at midnight. And uh, just so you get a, a little bit of flavor, these hardworking and sincere, no doubt, demonstrators, pro-Hamas demonstrators, uh, they sounded like this, clip 16. Okay, uh, there they are. They, uh, a, a step uh, was uh, made uh, in the ongoing struggle, and it is a struggle. Uh, the Wall Street Journal writes the following. A top Hamas leader was killed today. It was actually uh, early this evening um, in, in uh, Middle East time by a suspected Israeli strike in Beirut. According to two Lebanese security officials, 
raising the specter of further escalation in Israel's war against Palestinian militants. Why don't they say terrorists? But they say militants in the Gaza Strip. The blast killed Saleh al-Aruri, a founder of the Hamas military wing and one of its top political leaders, and at least three other people. Uh, Hamas confirmed Aruri's death in a statement. The Israeli military declined to comment on the explosion. He was um, uh, a senior Hamas leader, and uh, they report that uh, this is a significant development. Israeli intelligence has been trying to eliminate al-Aruri for years. And the United States, yes, our country, had a $5 million bounty on his capture or removal. He is a uh, deputy political leader for Hamas and one of the founders of the Al-Qassam Brigades, the same military wing, so-called, of Hamas that uh, conducted their program of murders, rapes, tortures, hostage-taking on October 7th. Uh, The United States has listed Al-Aruri as a designated global terrorist since 2015. In uh, 2014, uh, Al-Aruri was the Hamas leader who announced that three Israeli teenagers, including a dual U.S. national, were kidnapped and killed. That was in the West Bank. He referred to the murders as heroic. Amazing. Uh, He uh, uh, asked about uh, uh, Al-Aruri again. He... um, uh, was one of the most high-profile Hamas leaders and was close to Iran. Uh, will this make a, a wider war more probable? Uh, they, they spoke at the Wall Street Journal to Paul Salem, who was president of the Middle East Institute, which is a Washington think tank. He said, well, it certainly ratchets up risk and tension a few notches. I still think it is not something that will push Hezbollah into full-scale or major escalation. Given that this was an attack on a Palestinian leader and not a Hezbollah leader, it's difficult to take them to war for the killing of somebody else. Um, uh, Meanwhile, there's a piece in the New York Times and a big piece, which is particularly relevant today, even though this piece was written and researched a couple of days ago, Uh, Today, the the big news in Israel is that the Supreme Court uh, ruled in an eight to seven judgments. First time ever that they've had all 15 justices on the Israeli Supreme Court vote on the same issue. And what they voted to do was that controversial, quote, Supreme Court reform that would have taken away some of the court's power. Uh, That was on the docket because the way it works is with no written constitution, the court can make a finding that something is unreasonable, that a given piece of legislation is unreasonable, and then strike it down. And uh, the law that uh, Netanyahu and his uh, right-wing coalition had been pushing to enact was one that would have taken some of the power away from the Supreme Court added a legislative approval into the appointment of court members the way it's been working up till now in the whole history of Israel, 75 years, is that the members of the Supreme Court select their own future members. 
and uh, that all would have changed. Well, again, that law will not be enacted. And by the way, the prime minister has said in the middle of a war, he's not going to contest the Supreme Court decision. So he's acknowledging the decision for the Supreme Court to protect itself. But there's also a uh, a piece that uh, uh, in the New York Times, and it's a good piece by Patrick Kingsley, uh, with the headline, October 7th is forcing Israelis to rethink their identity. Attack has shaken belief in a sanctuary, but also unified a divided people. And what it points out is that across religious and political divides, Israelis are coming together with what the Hamas-led terrorist attack has meant for Israel as a state, for Israel as a society, and for its citizens as individuals. Just as Israel's failures in the 1973 Arab-Israeli War, the Yom Kippur War, ultimately amended its political and cultural life, the October 7th assault and its aftershocks are expected to reshape Israel for years to come. And one of the things that they uh, they take a look at is two groups that have been outside the mainstream, you could say. And one group is Arab-Israeli citizens, which are two million out of the nine and a half million people who live in Israel. And they did a poll, the Israel Democracy Institute, where they asked Arab Israelis, uh, do you consider yourself primarily an Israeli uh, or Arab, Palestinian, or something else? 70%, 70 of Israeli Arab citizens, it's uh, some 2 million people, 70% said they consider themselves primarily Israelis. That's very encouraging. There's other news about the so-called ultra-Orthodox rushing to serve in the military. That's a very big reversal. We'll talk about that and more coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. This is The Michael Medved Show. Michael, you drive me nuts. Michael Medved. Well, something that may be driving people nuts or at least be a minor irritant, and I hope it's no more than that, is uh, the difficulty in finding the show today. Uh, because with the new year, we have uh, a new availability of uh, this broadcast. You, you've obviously figured this out if you're listening to this in some format right now. The easiest way to figure out uh, where to find the show, how to find the show, and uh, this will be uh, a, a very solid means in the future. It's not going to change at any time in the next couple of years, uh, frankly, uh, God willing. The uh, subscribe to stream the show live at michaelmedved.com. Just go to michaelmedved.com. You can become a medhead and you can receive on-demand access uh, to ad-free archives, the Daily Show podcast, or stream the show live, as you probably are doing right now. Again, just go to uh, michaelmedved.com, 
and uh, it will give you make it very easy for you to to find our show, which uh, continues to be uh, broadcast in some two dozen affiliates across the country. And uh, the best possible deal is to become a MedHead Plus member. And uh, what that does for you is it gives you not only access to the daily podcast of this show's live broadcast, either live or on demand as a uh, ad-free podcast, or uh, it also provides you as a MedHead Plus member access to any of our history programs, uh, like the ones we played on New Year's Day or Christmas Day, but uh, there's more, it's much more than a hundred hours of uh, broadcasting, which will provide particularly important background on the Middle East conflict uh, to fulfill your interest. Again, part of what you get, and that's free for all MedHead Plus members. Uh, speaking of Middle East and, and the background and the story that I was just telling you, which is pretty amazing, about the New York Times reporting that 70% of Arab Israelis now say they feel part of the state of Israel, according to a poll in November, right after the October 7th attacks, by the Israel Democracy Institute, a Jerusalem-based research group. The uh, rating of 70% of Arab Israelis saying they feel part of the state of Israel, that's 22 points higher than in June before the attack by Hamas. And it's the highest proportion since the group began polling on the question uh, 20 years ago. And some uh, Arab Israelis feel a competing emotion uh, beyond the sympathy they feel for people in Gaza and the competing emotion is a greater sense of belonging in Israel. Scores of Arabs were killed or kidnapped by Hamas on October 7th, bestowing their communities with a greater sense of solidarity with Jewish Israelis. If I were given two options, Hamas or Israel, I would choose Israel without thinking twice, said Bashir Ziadna, a, an Arab-Israeli law student. Several members of Mr. Ziana's family were killed and abducted by Hamas in the attacks. The other thing that uh, has changed, and it's really very dramatic, because one of the other divisions that people heard about in Israel before the attack was the um, resentment that many Israelis felt for the group called Haredim. Yeah, which means is usually translated as ultra-Orthodox, and uh, they are a minority of the Orthodox population in Israel, where the great majority of Orthodox people serve in the army and are very proud to serve in the army, in fact, are very prominent in the officer corps. But uh, the Haredim for years have had a military exemption where they can study rabbinics at seminaries and again, it, it, during the Vietnam War, one of the things that happened was people who were trying to avoid military service, you could go to a Christian or Jewish or Islamic seminary uh, and study for a uh, being a religious leader, and you were ex as a draft exemption. 
And uh, that was also the case in Israel. But what they are reporting is that now there is a very big difference. And they do a portrait of this young man named Aryeh Traeger, uh, pardon me, Sager, who is a bus driver from Jerusalem. He embodies some of these shifts. In 2000, Mr. Traeger uh, became one of the tiny minority of ultra-Orthodox Israelis to serve as a military conscript. At the time, he felt ostracized by his own community. Joining the army was something unacceptable, Mr. Tzeger said. Ultra-Orthodox Jews known as Haredim are exempt from service so they can study Jewish law and scripture at government-subsidized seminaries. For decades, they have uh, fought to preserve the exemption, ranking secular Israelis, uh, rankling sec secular Israelis, since it allows the Haredim to benefit from the public purse while doing uh, little to protect the nation. After October 7th, when he rushed to rejoin the military, Mr. Tzeger said he felt welcomed by Haredim. Friends congratulated him. A Haredi rabbi gave him a special blessing, and several Haredi synagogues asked him if he could attend their Sabbath prayers with his gun. Uh, fearing more terrorist attacks, the congregations uh, wanted his protection. That's a big change, said Mr. Tzeger. They want me there. Uh, Mr. Tzeger is among the more than 2,000 Haredim who sought to join the military immediately in uh, the days right after the October 7th, according to military statistics. And again, uh, this is one sign of people coming together. Is there any chance that Republicans are going to come together uh, uh, after the Iowa caucuses in less than two weeks from today? Uh, there's a piece in the journal, uh, DeSantis bets on Iowa to keep his campaign afloat. And uh, basically what he needs to do is to finish second in Iowa. Nobody thinks that DeSantis is going to catch Trump. He may end up finishing third behind Nikki Haley, which could be a devastating blow to his campaign, which is one of the reasons I think he's been so tough on her on this civil war issue. Haley's campaign said she is in a strong position in several early states. If DeSantis doesn't win Iowa, uh, said um, uh, Olivia Perez-Cubas, a campaign spokeswoman for Nikki Haley, if DeSantis doesn't win Iowa, there's no rationale for him to move on. Uh, Haley said, uh, and the upper political action, as super political action committee backing her, have close to 4.6 million in advertising booked for Iowa between January 1st and the caucuses, compared with only 1.7 million, half as much, less than, for DeSantis and his allied groups. The totals, which can be fluid as buys are placed and retracted, shows Trump has less than 1 million booked during the period, but given the scope of his lead, he doesn't seem to need it. Political analysts uh, note that the winners of 2008, 2012, and 2016 caucuses, Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and Ted Cruz, respectively, all failed to secure the Republican nomination. DeSantis' campaign has followed a strategy that has carried past Republican presidential candidates to victory in Iowa, including visits to each of the state's 99 counties and the endorsement of the evangelical leader, Bob Vander Plaats. More on the ongoing presidential race.
coming up on the MedVed Show. Entertain your brain. Out of your mind. Are you insane? Every day on the Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, as we get closer and closer to the uh, Iowa caucuses, and then eight days later, the New Hampshire primary. Uh, Chris Sununu, who's been a frequent guest on the show, I'm proud to say, he's really one of the best governors in recent American history. I mean, somebody who was voted by uh, Reason Magazine, the most fiscally responsible governor, and this is in multiple terms that he served in New Hampshire. In any event, the guy is solid and he's brilliant and he's somebody for the Republican Party future. And uh, in New Hampshire, Governor Sununu just suggested that former Governor uh, Chris Christie of New Jersey, who is a personal friend of uh, Chris Sununu's because they were governors at the same time, Chris Sununu suggested that uh, Chris Christie should suspend his campaign giving former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley a clear path against Donald Trump. While Haley is behind Trump in most New Hampshire polls, some of these surveys indicate that she could defeat the former president if all of Christie's supporters, who come to about 15% in New Hampshire, if all of Christie's supporters backed her instead. Uh, other news from the campaign trail? Uh, venture capitalist Vivek Ramaswamy, who I, I think it will come as no shock to anyone, not my favorite candidate, but uh, Ramaswamy and his presidential campaign have stopped spending money on television ads. Is that a question of uh, not throwing good money after bad? I mean, he does not have any TV ad reservations booked, according to his campaign and data from an ad tracking firm. As recently as the first full week of December, the GOP Entrepreneurs Campaign spent more than $200,000 on TV ads. Last week, it spent just $6,000 on ads, all of it on TV uh, figures from the firm Ad Impact Show. I know that... Uh, he had some support in Iowa. I believe the last poll he had 5 6%, something like that. But that could make a difference. And I know that Ron DeSantis was uh, aiming at picking up some of that Vivek Ramaswamy support because he's not going to win the primary or the nomination or the vice presidency, which people have talked about. I think any of that is unlikely. And uh, frankly... The indication seems to be that a lot of the people who had uh, bought into uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign are likely to go over to Trump. Uh, it also seems to me extremely likely that when he eventually ends his campaign, which he's been funding largely himself, he's a very wealthy individual at 38 years old, in any event, it, it also seems likely to me that he will... Uh, endorse Trump at some point and then get a a prominent position in a new Trump administration and who knows, maybe the vice presidency. I think the main reason that uh, President Trump would be drawn to 
getting Vivek Ramaswamy on the ticket is the prospect of seeing uh, Ramaswamy debating Kamala Harris. Uh, which, given the fact how how uh, he managed to go after Nikki Haley and annoy her greatly, so she said that uh, mumbled that he was scum on the air, but uh, uh, provoking that kind of reaction from the Vice President of the United States. Well, stranger things have happened. Uh, meanwhile, when it comes to strange things, uh, there is this attempt which is picking up some steam. Uh, it is now two states, Maine and uh, Colorado, that have bla blocked uh, Donald Trump's name from appearing on the ballot. Uh, there is a, a tremendous piece. It, it's just a beautiful piece of legal writing by uh, Bill Barr, the former Attorney General of the United States. And remember, he was Attorney General twice. He was Attorney General under... President George Herbert Walker Bush uh, back in uh, the uh, early, very early 1990s. And uh, then he was, of course, the Attorney General in the last couple of years of the Trump administration. And he has a, uh, a, a column that is uh, extremely important and I think very persuasive. And basically it takes a look at the argument for keeping uh, Donald Trump off the ballot. And the title of the piece is uh, Bill Barr, full colon, I oppose Trump and oppose any efforts to ban him from the ballot. In other words, he's saying he doesn't think Trump should be elected, but he points out that the wrong way to, to defeat his election is to try to keep him away from the ballot. That actually will only strengthen his campaign and his sense of victimhood. A number of other states, writes Bill Barr, including Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, New Mexico, and New York, are considering taking the same step. Now, of those, Arizona's a crucial swing state. Uh, I guess you could say that there is a chance that New Mexico and Oregon and Nevada could be swing states, but they're all leaning heavily Democratic. But taking him off the ballot in some states and leaving him on the ballot in others is a very unhealthy situation. Uh, Bill Barr writes, uh, I am firmly opposed to Trump's candidacy. While I think it is critical the Biden administration be beaten at the polls, Trump is not the answer. He is not capable of winning the decisive victory Republicans need to advance conservative principles. And his truculent, petty, and toxic persona, unconstrained by any need to face the voters again, will damage the country. But I believe that the efforts to knock him off the ballot, writes the former Attorney General, are legally untenable, politically counterproductive, and most ominously destructive of our political order. The Supreme Court needs to act swiftly to strike down these foolish decisions. Uh, as a legal matter, states do not have the power to enforce the disqualification provision of the 14th Amendment by using their own ad hoc procedures to find that an individual is engaged in an insurrection. If the Justice Department, in pursuing its criminal case, had found that Trump had engaged in an insurrection, it would be another story. 
but it has not. In fact, he's facing a trial uh, with uh, the prosecutor, Jack Smith. He's facing a trial about uh, uh, basically whether or not he was involved and can be blamed for an insurrection. And uh, Bill Barr writes that these provisions in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, would be easy to apply if the person in question was already convicted of engaging in insurrection or rebellion. But how is it to be applied to someone, in this case, Trump, who has not been tried in court or found guilty of such acts? Obviously, there has to be a fair fact-finding procedure before someone can be branded an insurrectionist. But what could that process be? The 14th Amendment is silent on this. The terms insurrection and engaging are mushy. When does a public disturbance become an insurrection and when does an individual's level of involvement amount to engagement? What is the standard of proof required? Is it evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what would be required to convict someone for the crime of insurrection, or mere preponderance of the evidence? Does the accused have the right to cross-examine witnesses and to compel witnesses to testify? Does the accused have the right to a jury? Or can a single judge or election official make the final ruling? And uh, then what Bill Barr does is he goes and looks at some of the legislative history was the year after the amendment was passed, the then Chief Justice of the United States, Salmon Portland Chase of Ohio, uh, presided over a seminal case in Ray Griffin where they determined uh, that it was Congress and not the states that got to decide how individuals are disqualified from office under the 14th Amendment. Uh, therefore, unlike some of the other legal experts that we have had on the air here on the Medved Show, uh, like Akhil Reed Amar of Yale Law School, uh, Bill Barr, former Attorney General, thinks there is no chance that the disqualification of Trump on the ballots in Colorado or Maine will hold up. What about the Dobbs decision and abortion in this election? We'll be talking to Megan McArdle of Washington Post about how the pro-life forces can mobilize more effectively in this greatest nation on God's green earth. <laughs> 